Today, um, our spiritual formation stuff, this is a lesson I call Rhythms and Enemies of Spiritual Formation. So um, a lot of this, like a lot of our spiritual formation stuff, probably will not be like, wow, I've never thought about that, or I've never encountered that idea. But hopefully just put some scriptural reflection, some scriptural framework, some time kind of circling around the content, and they can help you live it out. Um, second years, you will have heard and seen some of this before, um, but... I have heard and seen some of it before, and it's helpful to me every time. So um, let's just keep going through it. Um, all of these things you see here have Bible passages underneath them, so I want to read through all of those. So we'll just kind of all take volunteers, and let's spread them out. I, I think we have more people than passages, so not everybody will get a chance. But um, let's just read through some Bible passages and talk about how spiritual formation can work. Who would like to read Psalm 1? Jonathan, go ahead. You're itching. Okay. Um, let's go ahead and get volunteers for these other ones. So John is going to do someone who wants to do Hebrews 12, 2 and 3. Haley, okay. Uh, Ephesians 3, 14 and 19. Brennan, Colossians 3, 1 to 3. Aiden. Uh, you'll, it will give you the next section. You're okay. Yeah, I was really, it's like, I know Jackson's going to do it. People are beating you to it. So, All right. Um, let's start with Psalm 1. Just read it through for us, brother. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that is that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Uh, Hebrews. Let's go down one, yeah. uh, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiated and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding the shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility, hostility he endured from Ephesians 3. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God um, Colossians 3 since you've been raised to new life with Christ set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. That's good. Um, okay, so here are your blanks for this concept, and then we'll kind of talk around some of those Bible passages. Um, but spiritual formation, I think, should be constant and frequent. Constant and frequent. Um, which aren't that different of words, but um, constant and frequent. Um, so in all these different passages, I think we see facets of this. Um, and the the reason I use those two words, kind of the distinction I want to draw from it for us to kind of sit in and grab onto, is a constant kind of like 
pattern, you know, a predictability to it. Like I think it's just healthy for us in, in anything to have some structure, to have like a constancy to the way we live. Different people are gonna engage that, you know, more or less. Not everybody's gonna be the most structured person in the world and that's okay. But in general, humans need some sense of, like it's helpful that you know every Thursday I have class. You know, we need something, some sort of trellis to build on um, or else it's hard for a vine to grow, right? So you have to have something that's kind of built in. So like Psalm 1, um, we've talked about this psalm before a handful of different times here, but the idea of a tree planted and a stream is flowing by watering those roots. Like there's something that's like, it's here, it's stable, we know where the source is. You know, there's something constant about that. And those terms of like walking and standing and sitting, you know, you don't want to walk or stand or sit in the counsel of the wicked, but you want to be with the Lord, walk with him, keep in step with him, Paul will say in Galatians, keep in step with the Spirit. Um, so there's kind of a constant movement to this. I also think of that um, Hebrews 12 passage where it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, right? Like there's a fixedness, like this is where it is. This is where my gaze is. This is where my focus is. This is where my heart is. And establishing that as a constant in your life, in structure and framework and time of day, whatever, is so helpful. And again, not everybody has to be um, the most rigorous, disciplined, you know, crazy in order kind of person but some sort of constancy will help you thrive it will help you grow um, so I think it's really really helpful um, Ephesians 3 uh, let me look at that one because um, it's so 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 so, so good um, let's see the words like rooted and established again that kind of pulls us back to Psalm 1 right I pray that you may be rooted and established in love and then you that you may have power together with the saints to grasp how wide and long, high and deep is the love of Christ, to know this love, like to know it, so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So there's constancy there, but the, the frequency piece of this, um, I think, it, again, it's so close to being constant. But the difference I want to draw is it's not just like a, even if it's every morning, I've got my time, okay, but then like the day keeps moving, you know, like what happens after that? Are you going to be filled with power? Are you going to be filled to the fullness like if I, I I eat breakfast in the morning even if it's a really good breakfast I'm gonna get hungry again you know like I don't I want to be filled to the fullness of everything God has for that day for me for who he's called us to be so there's kind of a frequent like be back go back to him don't even just have like this is my rhythm have that but like a frequent drawing from the well a frequent refilling with power a frequent refilling refocusing um, on his presence I think just does uh, so much for us. Um, Colossians 3, again, similar, such similar language. Set your hearts on things above, it says. Set your minds on things above. Um, you die, your life is not hidden with Christ and God. I love that language. Set your heart, set your mind. And I don't know about you, but I can do that once and I need to do it again. I need to frequently reset my heart. I need to frequently reset my mind. The amount of time, it could be so discouraging, right? But the amount of times during a day, where you're like, that's such a great morning. Like, I'm walking with him. This is so great. Sat in his presence this morning. And then, like, your mind goes somewhere else. Your eyes go somewhere else. Your thoughts go somewhere else. Your worries go somewhere else. And it's just like, gosh, i got to set my mind. I've got to reset my heart. And it's like you set it again, set it again, set it again. you got to get back. Um, the amount of times you have to do that can be so discouraging. But if we just embrace, part of our spiritual formation is a frequent turning back is a constant recentering. It's like, I want to reset. I'm going to reset. I'm going to fix my eyes. I'm going to set my heart. Um, so that when it goes off, it's not like, wow, I failed. But it goes off and it's like, I get to frequently reset my gaze. You know, I'm going to reset back to him. 
I think it's so it's just real, um, but I think is helpful, healthy view. I think it can free us from some condemnation even sometimes when it's like I'm so frustrated of how I drift or how I falter or where I wander. It's like, well, just set my mind, set my heart, you know, pull it back. Um, and I think we just need that. It's like my old Super Nintendo when I play it with my daughter. It's like you got to reset it sometimes, pull out the cartridge, blow in it, put it back in, reset. You know, it's like the game kicks on, reset it again because I was pushing a button when it was turning on and so it's glitching. You know what I mean? You got to reset it. I think we need, I'm like an old Nintendo, like I don't work great all the time, but I got to reset. Sometimes it's, it's like just reset your gaze and, and that's okay. But frequently reset it. Don't just get comfortable not. Is it making sense? Again, not revolutionary ideas here, but I think it's just good to sit in the scripture and talk about those things. Okay, here's the next um, the next set. Somebody, let's just take these one at a time and kind of camp in them. Jackson? Yes. Mark. Would love for you to read Mark 1. <laughs> Mark 1, 35 to 37. Let's all turn there, and then we'll just kind of go one by one out, um, through these. So Mark 1. Right. Jackson will read it for us. Wait till we stop hearing some more wrestling, and then we'll go. Those of you guys who you were ever here when Dave Stone was here, he'll probably still will do it if he comes back and preaches while you're here. He would tell, tell you where to turn a passage and you can hear pages turning and he'd just stop and go, I love that sound. Almost every time, just loved it. It's a beautiful little moment. Okay, go ahead, Jackson. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Mm-hmm. Love that. Um, so your first blank here is private. Spiritual formation sometimes should be private. And that Jesus here, even in the midst of good ministry work, of good discipleship work, of, I, you know, I'm sure he was enjoying it to some degree. I'm sure he was tired, but I'm, it wasn't terrible. Like he'd been doing good ministry. What he wanted to do, he's made to do. But he still is like, I'm going to get up early and get away. i got to go withdraw and be alone. Um, there's just a private nature to some of what we do. You've got to have some silence and solitude in your life. Even if you're the biggest extrovert in the world, you've got to have it. Um, and, you know, vice versa too. Biggest introvert in the world. At some point, you've got to re-engage, like, missionally in life. Um, but you've got to have some private withdrawal kind of time. I love that it says very early in the morning while it was still dark. He gets up and goes away. You guys know, hopefully, like, there's freedom. It does not have to be morning. Um, it's okay if that's not how you engage him. But I think the principle of finding the times sometimes when it's less convenient for you because that's when you can get alone, sometimes that's the reality. Now, I don't usually maybe ever get to have my quiet time, you know, at 8, 9, 10 a.m. or like in the middle of the afternoon or evening when it's like the evening and I'm starting to decompress and what a lovely time to sit and reflect. I don't get to do that. And my guess is you usually don't either. Um, sometimes it really is like if I want to get that time then the burden's on me to set the clock earlier or the burden's on me to stay up later the burden's on me to cancel something or carve out something or sometimes for me it's like I've got to work hard during my my set aside work time to be sure stuff isn't lingering around so that then when there is a span of time I can use it how I need to use it but I think some of this is like you need private spiritual formation and it's okay I just want to like call us into sometimes you have to create that and which is not don't turn that into one of those pharisaical burden like I have to do I don't care when you do it I don't care how long it is like you can figure that out with the father but sometimes it is on us to take the burden of that means I got to get up earlier that means I got to stay up later it's worth it there's this passage in it maybe on one of these later ones oh it's not so I'll talk about it now um in John 
4, you know that story of Jesus and the woman at the well. Um, he goes and sits and meets with the woman at the well. The disciples go to get food. They finally come back and they bring him food. And he just said, and they're like, you must be exhausted. You must be tired. You must be hungry, whatever. And he's like, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. That's what he says to them. And I'm sure he ate at some point um, that day probably. But his point is like, yes, I'm tired and poured out more ministry when you guys were doing something else. I was nourished by that. Um, so some of that is just our ministry life. Sometimes you've got to push through and you're going to do ministry and you'll be nourished in ways that don't make sense. Some of that is, I think, I get up earlier and if I'm having a good time with the Father, I'll be okay. You know, I'll miss 30 minutes of sleep when I first wake up. And by the end of the day, I'll be like, maybe I'll do 45 tomorrow, which may not be smart, but that's how you'll feel, you know, when you're nourished by Him. So sometimes the burden is on us. Create the private time. You guys know you never regret that, you know. It's hard to do. So let's just acknowledge together. Sometimes we got to discipline into finding it, creating it, taking the burden on ourselves, and then we'll be nourished in ways that don't make sense physically. But that's just part of it. It's a private uh, formation. Somebody read Luke 4, 16 for us. Yeah, Troy. And you guys know if you got a question or something you want to jump in, raise your hand, whatever. We'd love to chat through it. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. That's good. Uh, somebody read Hebrews ten twenty five for us. Somebody go for it when you got it. Yeah. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Yeah. That verse was used a lot during COVID. You remember that? It's like, don't give up meeting together. We're commanded to not. I'm like, ah, I don't know how we navigate that culturally. Um, but I do think it's an important verse, and it's a real verse. Um, so in Luke 4, it says Jesus went into the synagogue as was his custom, right? You, you may have heard that verse before. I think that's a really important glimpse into his life and pattern. Um, this verse says don't give up getting together. Don't give up being in community with one another. Don't give up being in church, you know, um, encouraging one another. So spiritual formation is both private and corporate. That's your other blank, both private and corporate. Um, so just like it's like, hey, find the time to get alone. Find the time to get away. Be in solitude. Be in silence. Get up early if you have to. Stay up late if you have to. Carve out a lunchtime if you have to. Whatever it is, get alone. Um, I would say if your whole life is lived alone, you're going to live a shell of a Christian life. You've got to be in community. Even, even those people, in, you know, the, this as a whole is a different conversation than today. But like people who go live in a monastery or something, they're not alone all the time. They're in a pretty tight-knit community in some ways a lot tighter than we ever lived in, right? So... They are both alone and corporate. Like even there, they're trying to create a, a healthy way of living. They're pretty removed from the world. So again, different discussion. But um, private and corporate both need to happen. So I love that Jesus regularly is going to synagogue gatherings. It was his custom to go. You know, he wasn't above it. He wasn't beyond it. He wasn't over it. He wasn't. He wasn't mad about it, so he quit. He didn't want to change it, so he stopped going. It's like he goes all the time. It was his custom to go. Um, and in Hebrews, they're saying, especially as things are getting harder, the day is approaching, especially as persecution is increasing, especially as Christians, Jewish Christians, all, all of the categories within that are increasingly scattered, 
then the, one of the solutions to, like what comes out of Hebrews 10 is like a pretty um, hefty doctrinal stuff about like how forgiveness works and why it matters and how we can be in union with the Father. And then we've got to be able to stand strong in the face of the world we're in. One of the solutions to being able to couple those things together, keep meeting together, right? Keep meeting together. We need church. We need community. We need small group. We need people. Um, so private and corporate both have to happen. Your soul will not be nourished well if you don't have a good corporate spiritual life. Um, and that can look a hundred different ways, right? Um, but I think we need it. I do think we need, this is, this is I think, outside the specific scope of what those verses are like calling us to or commanding us to. But I think there is so much health and wisdom in having like really, really tight, like thinking of, of um, Jesus's discipleship circles, kind of, you ever thought about that? Like having, he had his three that he was real close with and like took them on special trips and poured into them a little bit more. It's like, those are the tight, that was the tight group. Like I've got a couple people that are like, the tight ones for me. Like, I'll tell everything. They know everything. We're living it together deep. Then Jesus had a circle of 12 where it's like, we're really living life together. And this is like, you know, small group kind of territory probably where I bet the disciples were, were living pretty close. Even within that, he had his inner circle. But like, they, they really got life together. Then he's got, you remember, Jesus also sent out a group of 72 who did ministry work with him and alongside him. So that circle is another, like, I'm sure he knew them, could have called them by name. They're probably living some life together, but not at a super deep level. You just can't, you know. Um, but Jesus had that kind of crew, too. Um, so I don't know where that number fits, you know, but like a like that inner circle, kind of that small group, like this is my community. And then kind of that bigger crew of, like, we, we are in life together, intersecting together. Then Jesus also spent a lot of time with crowds ministering to crowds, speaking to crowds, engaging crowds, being part of crowds. It's like all those layers I think are wise and healthy for us to have. Like our life is lived well in those different circles that we find. Um, so private and corporate. Does that make sense? Yeah. How many O's are in corporate? C-O-R-P-O-R. Yeah. It's different than cooperate, but close. <laughs> well, just one in a row. There's two total, but just one in a row. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next one. Somebody want to read Exodus thirty-three seven to eleven for us? Nate, cool. Let's flip there, and Nate will read Exodus thirty-three. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far out from the he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from him. Okay, so many things here. Love that passage a lot. Um, So many interesting theological layers to this, too, that we could really get into sometime. But um, how interesting it is that all the people are just watching Moses have this interaction with him, right? Like, it's a different 
you know, period of time of the way God is interacting with humanity. But the people are just kind of watching. Moses is going to go meet with the Lord. Let's praise God until we hear what he has to say. And it's like, I'm so grateful that we don't just like sit outside the third floor in our seat and be like, oh, God's about to go pray for the sermon. Let's wait and see. You know, it's like, we could do that too. Like, I'm glad God is interacting in different ways and Jesus has done what he's done. Um, but there's a, I, there's a power to that too. I don't just want to be dismissive about like, man, I'm so glad that's so silly. It's like this, is, given what they had to interact with and the way God was dealing with them, this is a beautiful picture of them recognizing our conduit to God is there. We see it happening. And they're like coming out looking like what, you know, I'm picturing like getting the kids like, look, this is what he's doing. You know, picking them up like he's going to go talk to the Lord. We're going to hear what he has to say. Like there's a lot of beauty in this too. It's not just a, like the silly Israelites, you know, this is beautiful. The way they're expectant to hear from him. And then Moses, um, man, sometimes that verse 11, just like sit in that and think about that a little. Don't just gloss over like the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Like there will be a day. I, there are times I think in, like in our spirit when you feel that. Have you had moments like that where it just feels like he's that close and like you know him and he knows you and it's so good. There will be a day when the veil is totally gone, right? And you really do sit and speak to him face to face like your best friend. Can you imagine? Oh man, this would be so good. And I just hope I... Um, I don't know I hope when that happens that I'm not like surprised at what he sounds like you know or that he's not like it's been so long where have you been and I don't think that would be as hard I just hope I sit down with him and it feels like the best friend I've always had and I know his voice and he knows mine and he knows my heart I just can't wait for that day um, man so good and we'll get to do that um, but then I love this one too, and this is really what I want to camp on for this. You guys have probably heard me talk about this passage so many times before. I'm going to do it again. Um, but when it says Moses would return to the camp, and that whole kind of season or you know stretch of time is over, the people are probably going back in their tents. But this just leaves us and doesn't connect these dots. But Joshua did not leave the tent. I love that, and I don't know what all's happening here. Like maybe he's guarding it. I don't know what all the layers. But there's at least a piece. There's at least a piece of this where Joshua is like, this is where the presence of God is, and that my leader interacts with that, and I'm going to be the next leader. I, th- I think at this point Joshua probably has some sense that he's the apprentice. I don't know you know, what degree he may know he's feeling that, but he's not leaving. Like, I just love that he, he knows if this is where it is, I'm going to stay here as long as I can. This isn't going to be a quick interaction go. This isn't just going to be me watching Moses and go, I want to get whatever's left from that. You know, I don't know that it works that way, but I just wonder what Joshua's mind is doing and saying, I'm not leaving. As long as I can stay, I'm standing right here because this is where he comes. It's a little bit of what Nate was talking about earlier with the book. There's, there's probably a piece of that where it's like, let's not, let's not rush away from when he's close and when he's present and when you really are with him. Don't rush away from it. We can't live, you know, in spiritual, you know, mountaintop all the time. We just can't all the time. But don't rush away from it either. Don't just shun it because it's not 100% of our reality. What a beautiful thing. To be able to just say, he's here, he's close, I'm staying as long as I can. And getting as much with him as I can. And you know he's present everywhere, but you also, you know, there's different times when it's like, man, he's the veil is thin, you know. So I love that Joshua's staying there. There's something about this, um, 
again, kind of this theological period that's different than the way we interact with him that I think we can learn from, though, about, like, they knew where he was going to be. Um, and I love that. And I think we, you know, God is everywhere. He's all the time. But then in some sense, I know where he's going to be. But I think it's helpful for us. Again, you guys have heard me talk about this. I'm going to do it again because it's too important not to. There's something so helpful, I think, sometimes about having, like, this is the place that I go. This is the time that I go. It can't be all the time. And what grace there is in knowing, you know, if I'm not at home and I don't sit at my certain spot on the couch or whatever, God is just as present. You know, it's not, you know, I'm missing something. But I think it's helpful for us as human people to have some sort of, like, I'm going to go do some business with the Lord. And this is where we do that, you know. Um, some of you guys who have been to, like, Hopewell House or when we go um, to the place we've gone done retreats at, those become kind of holy places, not because there's anything particular about that place. I do think Hopewell House has been prayed over a lot, and you can feel it. I mean, every time you walk in there, I always feel like, oh, it's going to be good, you know. Like, it, you could just tell it's a spiritual, prepared space. But the space itself is not more holy than other places necessarily, it, part of it is because you've gone there and met him before. You know, you've sat in the porch swings at the fields and met him before, you know? Like, those places become holy because that's where we've met him. That's where he's been. And so we know there's nothing more special about it. But sometimes it's helpful to go back to one of those places. And you just meet him in a special way. There's something predictable. That's the blank here about, like, I want to have some predictability to where I can find him. Now, again, we find him anywhere. He is, he is very predictable in that sense. But it's so helpful sometimes to know I've got a pattern, I've got a predictability. You want to find me in the morning, you know know where I'll be. God wants to find me in the morning. He knows where I'll be. But I want to find him in the morning. I know where I go, where I tend to find him fast. You know, like, it's helpful to have that. You can't always, it's helpful to have it. Um, and Moses and Joshua, I think, had that. I think we can learn from that. It's, it's a good thing. Um, let's turn over to Matthew 14. Matthew 14. Does anybody know Bible Knowledge Survey pros? What's in Matthew 14 before you get there? Jesus. Jesus is there. Yeah. It's pretty predictable. You can find him there. Feeding of the 5,000. And the walking on water. Yeah, both. Okay, who wants to read this one for us? This is a longer one. Matthew 14, 13 to 24. You've already read. Let's give someone else a chance. No one else wants to. I'd love it. But Gabby, go for it. <laughs> Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from, from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Let's pa- let me pause you, sorry. When Jesus heard what? Look back, you can answer the question. That John the Baptist was headed. Okay, great. As long as we're in this same space. Go ahead, Gabby. Uh, but when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. When he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. 
but the boat by this time was a long was a long way from the land beaten by the waves for the wind was against them um, so you see the movement of this like Jesus is faced with pretty deep grief so he's trying to get away but crowds hear where he goes so they follow him and then he does one of his biggest public miracles that we hear about all the time but it comes right on the heels of him hearing really deep like um, sad you know family news that he's trying to deal with now he does this huge public miracle which by the way besides the resurrection feeding the 5,000 is the only other miracle that appears in all four gospels which I think is an interesting there's something important about it or something that really stuck out about it I wonder if the disciples for one you wouldn't forget about that right if you were there you'd remember for another I wonder if they remember this partially because of the emotional like poignancy of the moment you know like Jesus this is a deep time for Jesus he's wounded he's hurt he's sad trying to get away then he does this huge crazy thing I wonder if as the disciples who are with him reflect back they're like wow not only was he powerful enough to do that but he was kind compassionate patient enough to end his one of his moments of deepest fleshly mourning he did that wow like, I think this says something about his character in a pretty deep way, too. Like, I wonder if that's part of why they, all of them include it. But anyway, he's trying to get alone, trying to get away. Crowds follow him. He deals with it. Um, it happens a couple times, actually, right? He lands. There's a huge crowd. He has compassion on them and heals the sick. As evening came. So I wonder if it's like evening again. He's like, okay, we made it. The disciples come to him and like, let's send them away. Let's get alone. And he's like, nah, we got to feed them, right? So he's still engaging. He feeds them. Then he tries to get away. Um, and then finally gets up on a mountainside of verse 23 by himself, and he's there alone. So, like, this is a, a pretty long period of time where he's trying to get away, they're following him. Trying to get away, catch a breath, they're following him. And it's kind of going back and forth. And it even ends, like, he goes and walks to them out on the water after he's done. They get to the other side, and the crowds meet them there. So he's just, like, constantly, oh, like, I'm trying to get away. I'm trying to build my pattern. We've seen he likes to get away in a solitary place, right? He's done that early in the morning before when he's in the midst of ministry, and they come find him. So he's withdrawing like it's his predictable pattern, met with a crowd again, met with a crowd again, another set of needs again. Like, it just kind of keeps hitting him. So there's something, too, where it's predictable but also adaptable. I think your time with the Lord, that's your next blank. Like, I think the predictability is really helpful. But being able to say, I want to have my get alone. I want to have my evening wind down, the thing that's normal for me. I want to get alone and pray up on a mountainside. But instead of early in the morning, it's late at night for him this time because he's got to adapt. You know, he's trying to get away. So Jesus being able to be adaptable to get the prayer time he needs is huge in his formation. I think we need the same thing. This one, for, for me, probably different people are different on this. For me, the predictability thing is like I would love to have the same pattern schedule all the time. It would really, that would be great for me. Um, and then when it's adaptable, it's like that, that's like code for failure to me. You know, it's like, I was predictable and I had my pattern and I couldn't do it. That sucks. I blew it. It's like, no, just to do it different today. You know, that's, that's harder for me to do. Some of you are probably the other way where it's just like, you can meet with him anytime. And it's like so flexible in this beautiful ongoing kind of relationship. But it would be healthy for you to have a plan because some days you may go like a week and like, man, I haven't done anything purposeful. You know what I mean? Um, so predictable and adaptable both matter don't get so predictable that you can't adapt and there's no grace don't be so adaptable that you don't have a plan and a purpose and like a formative pattern to your life you know what I mean so I love that we see both of those things uh, in scripture does this make sense clicking following doing good okay Uh, the next one's here someone want to read James 1 22 to 25 for us
Um, let's do Colossians three fifteen to seventeen. Go, go for it. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ, which richly dwell within you, and with all wisdom, teaching, and love admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your God's hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him to God the Father. That's good. And so both of these in very different ways, I think, kind of teach the same concepts to me. So here are your blanks for this one. Um, our rhythm of spiritual formation should be both informative and transformative informative and transformative. I mean, I think separating either of those two things out gives you not a full picture of what God intends, what, what God's best is for us, informative and transformative. I think it's easy, tip, more typically, in circles I'm in at least, or things I hear, churches I'm in, there tends to be this kind of like, we're just reading for information, don't do that, like I really want life change, or like you're just filling your head full and knowledge isn't helpful, which is not untrue. But I think if you just turn to this, like, what's going to work today? You know, or what's the quick thing that I can use or do? That's great. I want, like, life change transformation. That's great. But you've got to have some information. Like, this is at its core somewhere, at its deepest core, we're a group of people following a person, right, who changed the world, the king of the world. The way we do that primarily is a book. So, like, if we're going to be people who live by a book, then we got to have some information somewhere. Like, we got to be studying and learning somewhere. And if we're just pulling out the little things that feel inspirational and transformative, you guys know, like, you're missing something. You know, there's going to be, you're going to have shallow roots that are easily blown over. Or you're going to have um, soil that's not tilled up deeply so that the seed can, can, can really sink down. So it's got to be informative and transformative. So I love that James passage. Where he doesn't say, if you look into the perfect law, like he says, you're going to look intently into the perfect law. And then he doesn't say, don't do that, that's a waste of your time. You don't need more knowledge. He just says, look intently into the perfect law, and then do what it says. It's both, like informative and transformative. He doesn't say, stop looking intently at it. He says, look intently at it, and then also live it. Um, I love the Colossians um, 3 uh, passage where it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Like, it's got to be in you deep. That's not a, again, that's not a, like, find the inspiration or just live, like, it's just your way of life. It's information that sinks in and takes over your life and changes you from within. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Teach one another. If, like, that's information transfer, right? Like, that's a good thing. Information transfer is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a called to us kind of thing. But then how that plays out is we're teaching and admonishing one another. So admonishing one another is, like, pushing each other towards growth and holiness and living it out. This is doing what James calls us to do, um, to live in wisdom, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs of gratitude. 
And then whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of Jesus. So let scripture, let God's word, let what he teaches, let the person of Jesus dwell in us. Know it, learn it deeply, and then let it change all of your actions. It's information and transformation both, and they have to go hand in hand. One without the other is incomplete and unhealthy. Similarly, you know, I've, I've kind of pushed on the one side. It is true. If you're just studying and reading, like read, 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 no, 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 then you're going to do a lot of what Paul commands Timothy not to help people stop doing godless shatter, foolish arguments, just trying to win your way, trying to puff yourself up so you know more than other people. That's not healthy at all. It's not helpful at all. It turns people off to the faith. It can ruin people's faith. It's bad for us, bad for others. So informative and transformative have to go hand in hand. I don't think I have to convince you guys of that, but I want to inspire you toward it and hold on to both. It just matters a lot. I love that, by the way. Just like reflect on verse 16 sometimes. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What would that be like? Not even just like know it deeply uh, or not even love it deeply. Let it dwell in you deeply. That's rich to me, right? Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Um, I don't know. Just reflect on that. Let that, let that sink in. <laughs> dwell in you. I think it's just really good language. I, do you guys ever, this is totally random. I haven't thought about this in a long time. I wonder sometimes what Paul thinks about the translation of his writing into other languages mm-hmm. like if he in his glorified body and mind is able to like understand the nuance of language well enough that he's like "Ooh, they really captured that like that's what i meant and they like they figured out english in a way to convey that thought or if he's ever just like ah oh, i get it that's okay but i can't wait till they get here i'm gonna tell them like i <laughs> i just wonder what he feels about the way we're trying to capture his heart you know because he you can tell he's passionate he's a preacher he's a talker he has something to say like, I just wonder how well we capture it. I'd just be excited to know. Okay, um, so from all of that stuff, here's a suggested rhythm for a life of spiritual formation. These are just kind of broad categories that I think are healthy for us to live in. Um, predictability, but also be adaptable. Can't always live in it well. Um, so here's what I suggest. Daily devotions. Daily devotions. Um, and like John Mark Homer, I'm not afraid of that word. Like devotions and quiet time, let's just own it. That's what it is. That's what we do. So devote yourself to him daily. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly daily. I don't know how you do that. I don't know when you do that, how long you do it. It doesn't really matter. But something daily where you're sitting in his presence, reconnecting with him, setting your heart and mind, daily devotions. Weekly, anybody have a guess? Sabbath, yeah. Weekly Sabbath. Um, Find that somehow. It's going to look different in different seasons of life. Um, the way you do it will be different in different seasons of life. The day you pick will be different in different seasons of life. That's all okay. But on a weekly basis, have some period of time that you're purposely setting aside to know this is my time to intentionally spiritually rest. It's so healthy. And once you once you find like hit a stride with doing that, from from I don't I don't know how you'll experience it. Once we hit a stride of doing that, it's like I cannot I will not live without some weekly pattern of that we have to adapt sometimes we do different days sometimes we do shorter periods of time sometimes when we need to but without something like that we like we will physically get sick before too long if we don't take a sabbath we will like seriously that happens in our elliot jokes about it it's like remember last time we skipped a sabbath i got sick don't skip a sabbath like she'll she's like big on it um we'll get short-tempered i mean you just need to have like i gotta look forward to some period of time where i'm intentionally accepting the gift of not having to run the world by myself so good um next one regular desert days and we've kind of lived those desert days how those look where you go how often you do it i think 
can be a, a whole different, you know, you can figure that out. But I would say have some sort of regularity to getting some, a day away. Your phone is off. Your normal responsibilities are kind of shut down. And it's, not, it's different than a day off. It's different even than a Sabbath day. It is a day to go sit and hear from him and talk to him. There's just something different about having a day like that on some kind of regular basis. I think I've told you, um, Kurt Souter, who's the, the guy that I learned the concept of Desert Days from, who's great. Um, he, would, he, I think, still does this every month. He started doing that early in his ministry life and said, I need a day every month where I'm away, unplugged, hearing from the Lord. I can't run my ministry without it. I can't run my life without it. He's just, like, regimented about monthly. I would love to do that. It's hard for me to get to the point where I can. But I think he would say, once you do it, you'll wonder how you lived before. And he's probably right. Um, So I don't think monthly would be a bad idea. Um, It's probably hard to pull off, but I don't think that's a bad idea. I see the fruit of it in his life. Um, So regular desert days somehow. I don't know how regular, but somehow regular. And then the next one I would say is occasional retreat. Occasional retreat. Um, and this is like more than a day, you know, like overnight or maybe two. Um, and I say occasional because I don't know, I, I don't do this well. Some of it's probably the season of life. It's hard for me, especially when travel is part of my job. You, you know, it, it's just, yeah, seasons change it. It's hard for me to say, I'm going to be gone for two more nights when I'm already gone for several for work trips. It's like that's not healthy, actually healthy for my family. It's just healthier in this season for me to do a better job of taking desert days. Um, but on some level, at some point, there's so much health to getting away longer. Like you just let yourself decompress in a different way. You know, if you've done vacation, you know, the first day or two, at least for me, I don't know if it's this way for you. The first day or two, it's like, this is fun, but I'm still like, you know. And then after a little while, you kind of settle into like, oh, I didn't even realize how tired I was, you know, or how much I needed this or how much I needed to laugh. Like you just need some time. So I think it's good occasionally to get an extended retreat time. Or your your body, your mind, your soul can catch it. Your soul can catch up with your body. You know. Yeah, Griffin. Something like I think about is like I love the retreats and I love that we get to do it. Yeah. But we get to do it because we're part of this program and like yeah. we schedule it in there. And so like there's just like pretty much everyone in the church isn't gonna have that opportunity. So like how do you lead people into that? And even like when we're going away from this program and we don't have that built into our schedule, like what is That's really good. That's so hard to find. Yeah. Not many people are going to be able to do it. Yeah, really good question, Griffin. Um, just asking about how you do retreat when it's not like built into your life or your program for you. So a couple things I would say. I think it is a challenge. Um, there, I think you can and is good for you to like lead up a little bit in your teams, especially if you're not the one who sets the schedule, but you could in your work team be like, hey, I did this thing. This residency was so good. I wonder if we did something like that. It doesn't have to be three days or four, but what if we did an overnight that was like an intentional spiritual retreat? I think you can suggest is one way to do it. Um, When you do have like a a realm of responsibility, then build it in. You can do that. And uh, something we experience, you guys probably feel some, but it's, it's hard still to build it in here. Like it's a high priority. It's the biggest thing we like fight for, command your schedule. It's, nor- it's in the culture enough now that it's not a huge ordeal, but every time we plan one, there are schedule conflicts that are hard and tricky and you've got to navigate. And sometimes it's like, you know what, I hate to do this, but trump card on this one. We're going to do it. It's got to happen. 
um, for myself and for you guys' calendar. So it's, it's, it's always a little bit of a challenge, even when it's like part of the stream of the culture. So um, when you do have a realm responsibility, I would just encourage you, yeah, fight for it. And don't give up if it's hard to schedule it or if you get pushed back, like do it, make it happen. Um, on a personal level, I, it may be, especially if like a team or structure isn't doing it or it's hard to find or you know a church that doesn't value that kind of thing a lot, then I would you have to take vacation time for it and make that part of your vacation and that's okay that's a great way to spend vacation um one thing you can do practically for that too sometimes it it may just be like you know go to some airbnb somewhere in a cool place and turn off your phone and have an awesome retreat or get a handful of people or a community or small group and we're going to do this retreat together let's all align our vacation and make that a vacation for a few days i think that'd be pretty sweet um, another thing you could do is like monasteries or places like that. You can usually go stay for free or they'll like accept donations, but they don't expect anything and you can give them a little bit and you can stay overnight for one or multiple nights and just be there. And they have like nice accommodation. It's not a hotel, you know, but it's nice and it's a spiritual kind of place and they have times of prayer you're invited to, but don't have to go. And those are good good options I think I've known people who've done that. I've never gone overnight to a monastery I want to but um, those are good options and there's actually several around here that you could go and stay at um, so that could be practically a helpful tool but yeah I, I, one big thing I would say is just don't give up if it's hard Something I'll say too is this is like, I personally, this is a challenge for me right now. Like, I love going on the, the retreats with y'all, and they're fun and life giving in a different way, but they're life giving in the ministry output way for me. Mm-hmm. Not like this is the spiritual retreat for me in my year. And I'm trying to figure that out. I don't know how to, what to do about that, but I want to. So, it's, a, I just say that to say it is a challenge that I even feel. I would love that, and I want to figure out how. Because it's, it's really, but yeah, don't give up when it's hard. And it, I think like that is a good point too. Like it takes work planning those things too. And structure is so helpful so that you don't just slide into like, like with the Sabbath, it's helpful to have an idea and a plan or else you're just going to watch TV all day. You know, it's like, wow, that's not great. That's a great question. I don't know if that's helpful or if you guys have other thoughts or questions around that or anything else. But. I also think it's always going to feel like it's no matter when you plan it, how good your schedule is, even with SFR, it always feels like we did the wrong choice or chose the wrong time, mm-hmm. or it's like this. It's like so even fighting against that with Sabbath and with with retreats. Like once you plan a retreat, it's almost always kind of pull for one because Steve doesn't want you to spend that time with the Lord, and two, it's just not how our culture functions. So it always feels a little bit like where you're like going against 
it's like wait you're wasting like you're wasting vacation days on like not just like binge watching a show like what are you doing you're like you're not spending it to go on a really fancy vacation like so I think also like be almost ready like don't ex like expect it to be difficult often when you decide to do things like that mm -hmm. they're always rewarding but it kind of just always feels like you're going against whether it's your own personal like ambition or what people think you should do with your time it's like you just feel that constantly and the more you do it the more you crave it and the easier it is to say like i don't really care what you think but it is it often feels that way when you choose to do the other days when you choose to do the dream even with that so far it's always like wait this is so okay oh and then you make it you're so glad but yeah so that's good other questions thoughts Let's go your page. Okay, so here are some enemies, I think, of our spiritual formation. Things that just tend to get in the way. Some of these would be like, yeah, I feel that. Um, some of them are a little bit deeper under the surface, maybe. But um, these are, th are things I think are just helpful to identify and, um, and try to deal with a little bit. So each one has a habit and a temptation. So the habit is like, this is something we do, something we're into, something that's like we get caught up in the stream of because it's just happening to us. And then the temptation along with that is like either an excuse that we can make because of the habit we have or, you know, something that comes along with it. So I hope this has been a helpful framework for me to think through. Hopefully this is you too. So the first one is this, the habit of being busy. The habit of being busy. Anybody feel that? Yes, often. Um, I chose the word habit intentionally here. Sometimes it's like, sometimes busyness happens to you in ways you can't control. You know, there are seasons and waves of just like, I don't know what to do about that. Sometimes there is a habit level to it. Now, don't hear this again as, like, I know sometimes the waves happen and you can't, you know, get out of it or you can't overcome it. Or sometimes the schedule is just for a, maybe even an extended season, just relentless. That's real. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to say, well, you shouldn't be busy. It's not that simple. But I do think having a, having a busied life, it's like the John Mark Homer book, living a hurried life out of a habit that creates that busyness in you is fixable to some degree. You can settle your soul even in the midst of a really busy, overwhelming schedule. And so that's, I think, the invitation here is don't let the busyness just become a like, well, I'm busy. Well, it's tough. Well, I'm tired. Well, there's a lot. There is. How can you unhurry out of that? Which still may mean your schedule's relentless. I mean, there, there are, have been long seasons of my life where it's like there is no solution to the calendar overload. There is no solution to, like, I remember stretches of time where it's like job responsibilities wrapping up, um, starting to launch residency, finishing a master's degree. We have a two-year-old, like, I'm going to be worn out for the next year. There's no, like, I've, there's no way around that. That's not wrong. How do I find ways to survive in the midst of that, you know? So don't let busyness, even when it's real, even when it's unavoidable, even when it's just relentlessly hitting you, don't let that become a habit that's an excuse to keep you from an unhurried soul. Does that make sense? So um, busyness, we can control some of it, we can't control some of it. There's always a way through it. So here's the temptation that comes along with that, a temptation that comes along with that, there's probably several, um, is the temptation to be distracted. Busyness, overloaded schedules, full stuff, sometimes good, sometimes work, sometimes fun. Sometimes we just get so busy because we keep doing fun stuff and we love that. And sometimes it's just because it's fun and it's great. Sometimes that's like a, um, if you dig down deeper, it's like, why, do I, why am I always constantly doing social fun things all the time? What am I hiding from? Why can't I be alone? Sometimes that's reality. 
sometimes it's just like I love people a whole lot and you got to find a way to withdraw one day you know um, but there's a temptation to just use or allow schedules busyness workload people stuff ministry stuff fun stuff to distract you from a settled soul and that can be an enemy to your formation again not all that is bad some of it some of it probably is like yeah it needs to be trimmed some of it is just like life fills up on you and you may there there are lots of seasons i think where you look around at a calendar a schedule and be like all of this is good all of this might even be godly it's so much that i'm distracted from being able to pray or i'm distracted from being able to like thoughtfully prepare for a lesson i'm you know throwing it together it's like well there's maybe something I need to shift. Um, so there's not easy solutions to these things. I just think it's helpful to draw out for one, busyness can be a habit that you allow. Busyness can also be something you can't totally control, but how do I carve a little niche in it so that my attitude towards it can still be settled instead of like keeping up with the pace of it? You know what I mean? And again, not easy solutions, complex solutions. Um, but I think it's just helpful to realize I need to go against this grain or it's going to steal my form. I, I will be formed into a busy, distracted life if I don't purposely not allow that to happen. That's just what's going on. That's what happens in our world. That's what people are. They're formed into busy, distracted lives. I don't want to be formed that way. Um, so you have to have a draw out of that on purpose. And the next one, an enemy of spiritual formation is the pressure of being perfect. The pressure of being perfect. Um, I just think it's... It can be so hard sometimes when you think about it. even even what's on this last page, which is why I tried to be a little vague on it and not say like the daily and weekly are pretty particular parameters that I think are good ideas. But how you do devotions, how you do Sabbath, I don't know. Take some freedom in that. You know, I, I think there can be such a pressure of like there's a right way to do this, there's a perfect way to do this. I should be reading the Bible through once a year at least. And I should be journaling a page at least. Like whatever kind of construct your mind puts in about what spiritual formation ought to look like can become so much pressure. And I think some of that stuff comes, even what I'm doing, I'm sure there's pitfalls in, which is why I'm trying to like do this, is that I'm trying to give like practical, helpful, these are tools, this is good for you. What I don't want to accidentally do is say, these are all the things you must do. And if you don't do it, you have done it imperfectly, which is a failure. That's not true. Um, but I think it's such pressure, right, to like do it right, to be perfect at it, to hit the high standard. And I want to have ambition toward that, but I also want to have some freedom to say, you can do it how the Spirit is inviting you to do it. You walk with the Father how you walk with the Father. Um, you're going to relate to Him different than I'm going to relate to Him. And you should do it that way, not my way. As long as you're relating to Him, that's great. Like As long as you're His kid, that's what He wants from you. He doesn't want you to be me. He wants you to be you. But He wants you. Um, so don't let the pressure of like hitting the perfect standard keep you from doing anything at all. Um, so a temptation that comes along with that is a temptation to be prideful. Um, and the, the backside of pride is usually insecurity, right? So you can maybe fill in both of these here because they're, they're two sides of the same coin. I think when, um, at least for, I'll speak for me. Maybe you find yourself in this or not. I don't know, but I'll speak for me. If or when I ever do a good job at hitting whatever imaginary you know, unfair, unrealistic standards I have for what my spiritual formation should look like. There's such a temptation to be super proud of that, you know, or like find ways to accidentally kind of let people know, you know, in my quiet time today, I was in Ezekiel because I read through the Old Testament every year. And, you know, like, you know, those things that happen, you're just like, I don't want to be prideful about that. Like if I'm walking with him well, 
just walk with them well. And if there's overflow, let it overflow. But there's always the the temptation to let pride be like, I am good at this. And I walk with them well, and I don't know if y'all do. And if you did, it'd be great. Like, I just, you got to fight pride so much all the time in our Christian life. So I think that is a temptation. If you can hit those standards, pride comes with it. Now, on the flip side, right, insecurity can follow that. Where, like, I can never do it. I can never measure up. I can't do it right. And I'm just so insecure about it. And then you spiral into this. Either I do nothing because I can't, or I do nothing because I'm afraid of doing it wrong, or everything I do is out of an insecure desire to prove it to him or to other people, and that's going to kill you too. So always the, the two sides of that coin are like fighting for our souls. You guys feel that? If, I feel like if pride could just be killed, it would change. It would revolutionize our world. It would revolutionize our walk with him. It's just such a deep-rooted sin. Um, so the temptation to be prideful the difficulty of being insecure, those things just kind of follow us around in this. And I think the pressure of trying to hit this perfect ideal that you may or may not have in your mind just feeds that little monster. So that's why I would say there is no perfect way to do spiritual formation. The invitation is God wants to form your soul. He wants the word of Christ to dwell in you richly so that the fullness of God can come to bear in your life. That's what is on offer to you. That's not him saying, if you don't do all these things every single day, I can't do it, I won't do it, I'm mad at you. Never is that his tone. I think he's saying, I'm offering you fullness. Do you want to live in it? Do you want it? I know you do. Let's do it together. Let's figure it out together. It doesn't have to be a perfect standard that's going to create pride and insecurity fighting itself over your soul. Is that making sense? Okay. Uh, the next one, the struggle of being human. Just the struggle of being human. So many times when I think about this stuff, it's like, I would love to wake up at 4 a.m. and just like hit my knees in prayer for an hour and read scripture at this unbelievable pace that nourishes my soul and then read a book that's educating me and then it's 6 a.m. and I'm ready to start my day before all of you are like I would love to live that life I can't do that I can't do it I'm tired in the morning right um I get up relatively early I'm so tired most of the time when I wake up in the morning it's like I don't want to get out of bed I don't like this I'm just going to kind of you know, droopily stand by the counter until the water finally boils so I can make my coffee and then I'm going to listen to a podcast that's going to wake me up for a minute so that I can do something worthwhile. Like, that's the reality of the ideal spiritually formed morning. There's just a reality, the struggle of I'm a human body that can only do so much. And if I stay up super late one night, the next morning is not going to be great usually. And if I get up super early, I can't stay up super late. Like, I mean, it's just, I'm flesh. You know, there's only so much you can do. And I think that makes it hard. It makes it really hard to keep going. It makes it hard to persevere when it's not perfect. It makes it hard to get up again the next morning. It makes it hard sometimes to like, again, this is my, my reality. I'm sure you guys have your facets of how this works too. It's hard when I'm tired in the morning to read because I'm tired, you know? It's hard when I'm tired in the morning and I'm not just gonna blast all the lights on because there's other people who live there. It's hard to wake up because it's kind of dark and I'm sitting on a couch. And that's where I, exactly where I want to be when I'm tired. You know what I mean? So it's just hard. There's hard things about that. I'm annoyed sometimes that I feel like I need coffee to get started in the morning. I don't want to need it. I'm, but I'm this weak vessel. Like I, there's just the struggle of all that stuff and how it, it's reality. You know, we live as human people. Now, here's the temptation that comes with that, I think, at least for me. Again, you guys hear what you want to hear. At least for me. There's a temptation that comes with that to be lazy sometimes. And I don't want to live under the pressure of perfection that leads into my pride. 
I also don't want to say like, well, I'm tired, so it's okay. Well, I was up late last night. Well, why were you up late last night? It's because I was watching Star Wars again. No wonder I'm tired. You got to get up and get in the word. You're going to shrivel up. Stop watching TV late at night. You know, sometimes I need that like, yeah, I'm human. I'm tired because I let myself be tired because I'm in the habit of being busy and I'm, I'm, you know, all those things feed into itself. So, yes, there's grace because we're flesh. Sometimes you're tired and God is honored by your sleeping in. That's true. Sometimes he's just as honored by your sleeping in as he would be if you got up at 5.30 and read more. He understands your schedule. He knows your life. There is grace for being flesh. And also, there's discipline that our flesh needs to say, I'm not going to be, like I live in a fleshly body and there's limits to that. But I also am a spiritual being. And I want to discipline my flesh. Like Paul said, beat my body, make it my slave so that I can do what I'm made to do. And sometimes you got to do that, you know. So there's a, a pendulum there. Like the, the pressure of being perfect can feed this fleshly problem. But then I think the like fleshly grace can feed this laziness that just drifts you along. I don't want either of those things. And it's a fight. Like you just got to fight it. So here's the next one. The reality of being in a battle. The reality of being in a battle. I think we just need to always keep in front of us the truth that this life of spiritual formation that we're called to, that we're living in, I want my soul to be fully formed into the likeness of Christ, to be more deeply filled with the fullness of God. That's what I want. Doing that is a spiritual war. you know. And I think sometimes I just need that reminder. This is war that we're in. This isn't just as simple as, like, I feel better when I have quiet time. Um, although I do, this isn't just as simple as Scripture makes me a better person, friend, father. It does. Um, prayer gives more power to my ministry. It does. The reason those things are true is because we're at war with dark forces that are trying to take over as much ground as they can in the kingdom. They're going to lose that fight, but we're in a fight. And so I think I need that reality sometimes to remember, especially when it's like, I don't want this pressure being perfect and it makes me prideful or I'm fleshly and I'm tired. All that war is like, that's, it's bigger than I'm tired because I stay up late or I'm tired because I don't get enough sleep or all the other things. It's bigger than that. Spiritual war, spiritual life is at stake for all of us, for the people we serve and the people around us, for your soul. There is a war. And that's, I think we just got to remember that. It doesn't solve all the problems, but it helps me and I remember like me feeling tired today Again, sometimes the answer to that, which is a beautiful gift of God, sometimes a way we fight the war on God's side is saying, I don't have to be awake and doing everything. <laughs> He's got it. He needs me to be okay. Sometimes that's great. Sometimes it's like, you know, there's a battle to fight, and I'm a shepherd of this flock. And if I don't fight the battle and stand in the gap to pray, who will? I got to go fight. doesn't matter if I'm tired. And there's a, like, how you discern that is you keep in step with the Spirit and let His voice lead you and guide your decisions daily. But I think we just need to remember there's a battle here, and I don't want to be lazy about it, and I don't want to miss it. Life is pretty short. I want to fight. You know what I mean? Um, and I need that reminder sometimes. It's not just as simple as, as the daily stuff. Um, so here's the temptation that, that comes along with that, I think, sometimes, is the temptation to be passive. And I need the reminder that this is spiritual war so that I don't just say like, well, there's grace for when I'm not perfect. There is, but what is going to win the war today? You know, maybe it is rest. Um, rest, it does fight God's battles. Maybe it's discipline. It could be either. I need to hear his voice to know. Um, but I just never, I don't want to get to the end 
of my time and feel like I didn't wage war like I could have. And God's going to win his fight, you know, with or without my daily decisions. But man, I want to be useful to him. I want to be part of it. I, I don't want to get to the end and say, wow, God won that war. And there's a hundred opportunities that I could have done some cool stuff with him that I missed. Like, I want to take those opportunities. You know what I mean? Um, so again, hear that as an invitation from him, not as condemnation from him, but as a like, let's do this together. I want you on my team. I'm so glad you're here. Let's do it. You know, I think that's his heart. Let's take the hill together. Um, and I think our the, the daily choices, the daily devotions, the Sabbath day, all that stuff, this is the mind shift. All that stuff is spiritual war. You're winning the war when you say, I'm taking a day to rest because God's going to do better with, with a rested me and he's going to win while I'm resting. That is spiritual war. And that reframing that um, spiritual reality, I think, is so, so, so helpful. This is part of why the book of Revelation is so wonderful. And we'll talk more about it in May. No, December. Um, but what Revelation does is it's similar to Pilgrim's Progress. But it's like these are the realities going on around you. Let me put a face to it so you can understand. So, so that, that's what like the vision Jesus gives John. He's like, you want to understand what's going on, John? You feel like you're a persecuted church and you're worn out and you're tired of fighting and it's hard to stay faithful and you don't know, like, are we going to go along with culture or are we not? And, like, people are dying and that's so sad. Do we keep fighting? Stuff's expensive. All those realities are talked about in Revelation. What the vision that Jesus gives John to describe that is, like, here's how you're feeling. You know what it's like? There's a dragon trying to kill you. You can fight him, though. You want to do that? Like, that's way different than I'm tired and worn out and we're going to make it. And Jesus is like, you know why you're tired and worn out? There's a dragon chasing you. It sucks. We can kill it. That's so different. Like, there's so much power in stepping onto the field that way. Um, so I think that's the invitation. And our daily devotions, our weekly Sabbath, our desert days, our letting the word of Christ dwell in us, we're fighting the dragon. You know, so I love that. Okay, here's the next thing I want to do. Um, Griffin or Aiden, could you grab that stack of papers? That big stack with the teal on top. Yep. Uh, so I'm going to give this to you guys. I'm going to talk about it just for a couple of minutes, but we're not going to do this today. I just want to give it to you as a tool. Um, and I won't, I won't give you like, it's, it's not due. You're not going to give it back to me. Um, there's not a timeline I'm going to give you on it. But I want to invite you to use it, okay? Second years, we went through this last year, so you've seen this again, but I think it could be a helpful tool. Like, I need it again in every season, um, this kind of thing. So this is a, uh, something that Joe and I put together on uh, developing a rule of life, um, which John Mark Comer talks about a little bit, right, in Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Um, a book you'll read uh, later or you have read before talks about it a lot more, too. Super helpful. So this, this will just kind of go through, do this. This would be good to do on a desert day. This would be good to do on a Sabbath day maybe or like an extended quiet time or do it over the span of several days um, in little stretches. But this just kind of walks you through thinking about your life, kind of take an inventory on what you care about, how you live, what would be helpful and healthy to you spiritually, and just walks you through charting that stuff out. Hopefully with an outcome of like, here are some new habits I can instill. Or here are some things I can emphasize. We want it to be practical output for you. So I've found practice like that to be really helpful. And I need to do this kind of thing pretty often for me. I, some of you may be like, yeah, I did that. And I put it in place and I'm living it. Great. Um, you could probably tweak. That may be helpful. For me, I do this kind of process more often than I would like to admit. It's kind of embarrassing how much I revamp my life and then don't live it all out and have to change it again. Um, but I do that a lot. 
but it's helpful every time. So um, this kind of thing, I think, would be a, just a good, useful tool. Does that make sense? The quote on the inside um, cover, I want to draw your attention to, because I think, for once, I think it's good. And you may have to parse it out a little bit, read it slow, it's worth it. Um, but this guy, Benedict of Nursia, was a um, monk, Christian, a long time ago. And he um, started kind of a school of monastic, in a monastic community, people who lived as monks. But he was, like, the first to develop this whole, like, uh, or to, to really codify it, at least. I think people were doing this before. But to put in writing, to put together, let's come up with a structure to our life that communally, in his context, we agree to. We're going to live by these rules together. Um, so he was one of the first to really do this long, 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 long time ago. And there are people now still today who live according to his rule that he developed way within. It's pretty cool. So that's who that guy is. There's kind of the father of this idea, of this concept in Christian living that I think is pretty neat. So he, if you love this kind of stuff, he might be a cool one to try to find his old writings or just dig into. I think, if, again, if you like really love this stuff, you would probably enjoy Benedict. But okay, questions, thoughts? Yeah. Can I take a second one for Lindsay? Sure. Uh, yes, but not that you, it's not set up so that you could write in it. Oh, I already got a second one. Oh. There is like three. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I held that one in case you said no, I was going to give it back. Ask forgiveness on permission, huh? But if you said yes, then I was going to keep it. That's great. Uh, good. Uh, yeah, Troy, if you want the digital copy, I'll send it to you. But like I said, it's not set up that you can do anything with it. It's just a PDF. Oh, yeah, you, I would just reprint it. Oh, yeah, okay. Or do you want Jackson's second copy? That I was oh, no, no. I'm just well, saying, I'm, I'm, copy. I'm just asking in case we fill this out and then we realize, oh, I need to reinvent my yeah. life again. Yeah. Yeah, or do residency. Yeah. Okay, here's how I want to end. Uh, Kathy, I think, is going to get, um, to get lunch. So she'll be up here in a minute, probably with that. But here's what I want to do to wrap up, and then we'll be done after this. I just want to read a little bit from Matthew. And just let this be our conclusion. I, again, some of this stuff is like the pressure of doing it and trying to get it right and wanting to fight this battle, but not knowing how, just all those things. Um, so I just want to read what Jesus said um, at the end of Matthew 11 and let this be kind of our ending for today that we rest in coming out of this lesson. Um, so here's what it says, Matthew 11, 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to, be, to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So let's pray. God, we accept that yoke today, and we want to follow you, and we want to do it in a way that is not burdensome. Um, we know that there's work. You know, you put on a yoke to get work done, um, so we want to do kingdom work. Um, but we don't want to be burdened by it. We don't want to be um, to be wearing something that we're not made to carry. We want to wear what we were made to carry. We want your yoke on us. It's easy and light and well-fitted. Um, we praise you and thank you that you are gentle, humble in heart. 
and we just accept that and believe that as your character as your identity as who you are and how you act thank you for being that way toward us God in these things we've talked about today we want to live them out we want to live lives built around your word we want to live lives with eyes fixed firmly on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith Um, we want to live lives that are indwelt richly by the word of God we want to live lives that encourage and admonish and teach one another we want to live lives um, where everything we do is for the glory and honor of Jesus and we want to live uh, as if we really do follow and obey you as our king we want to live that way so holy spirit give us the power to do it um, give us discipline help us work hard and and you know really step into what you've called us to but remind us always we can only do any of that because your spirit has called us and equips us and sanctifies us um, so we live in that we live in your power and we trust you to do what we can't do to make up all the difference and all the gaps that we have and we trust you for that Help us encourage one another and build each other up today over lunch. Um, Help us speak words of life to one another. Help us be lighthearted together and heavy-hearted when necessary to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Help us um, just always in all of our conversation, all of our thoughts, to have our minds and hearts set on you. Uh, Thank you that you're with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.